Today we're in John chapter three, and um, we're talking about this matter of being born again. If you're um, not yet a Christian, you probably are familiar with the concept of being born again. You probably heard it before, and what I want to do today is explain what the Bible means when it says uh, born again, and if you already are a Christian, uh, being born again is uh, really what happened to you. The Bible has words and language that describe the, the work that God did in your heart when you believed. For me, when I was about eight or nine years old, I don't exactly remember how old I was, here's what I know. I walked into the woods behind my house, not a believer, and I walked out of the woods a follower of Jesus. Here's what happened. I was raised in a Christian home. I'm sure I heard the gospel multiple times, but it kind of went in one ear and out the other until I went to a vacation Bible school at a, another church, a little Baptist church, and there was this lady who was telling a Bible story, and she, she just made it really clear, and for some reason, it just kind of landed on my heart, and I knew what she was saying was true, that I was a sinner. I mean, I knew that to be true. My sister really knew that was true, and, and so I just, I, like, that's legit reality. I'm a sinner. I knew that Jesus died uh, for my sins, and I knew that hell was real, and that um, I needed to, to trust Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. So she kind of told some story. I don't remember exactly what it was. I, I'm pretty sure there was flannel graph involved, because whenever I see flannel graph, I have this little warm feeling that happens in my soul. I think somehow it's con connected to my conversion. And I, I don't know exactly what the story was, but all I know is that when I got home, I walked into the woods, and without anybody there with me, I gave my heart and life to Christ and I walked out of the woods a follower of Jesus. And what's remarkable about that as I think about it now is I heard the gospel and I believed, but now when I look back on that, knowing me, knowing my own soul, as a dad with children, as a pastor in the context of ministry, talking to people about the claims of Christ, Here's what I know. I 100% believed, I 100% received, but I also know this, God was underneath all of that. Like I was being drawn, like it was sort of like that walk in the woods, God was calling me. And the way that the Bible describes that is with the words, born again. And today what I wanna help you understand is what does it mean when the Bible says, when Jesus says, you must be born again? In fact, the entire message could be just kind of summarized in this singular statement that you're born again in order to believe. Or you can think of it this way, and this will be the sort of outline of our text. You're born again by the Spirit and you believe. And so we're gonna look at that. Born again, that's the first point. By the Spirit, that's the second. And believe is the third. So today we're in John 1, or John chapter three, verses one to 15, we're gonna hold off verse 16, we're gonna come back to that. I wanna just spend some time looking at that signature text. We're gonna look at that a couple weeks from now because the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about some things related to kind of where we're headed as a, as a church. We have a congregational meeting happening on February 24th where we approve the budget for next year. We have some ideas and thoughts and things that the Lord's been putting on our heart as an eldership as far as where we're gonna go as a church. And it's related to something that I'll talk about next week called the Antioch Moment. And I wanna share that with you. Um, we're gonna talk about what it means to, to live generously and how do we think about living out the gospel in our community. And then after that, we have Think, which is our theology conference. Jeff did a great job highlighting that. 
Um, and then after Think, where we're talking about the subject of racial harmony, we're gonna take another three weeks, we're gonna go deeper on this subject with a short little series called One People, The Church, Race, and the Cross. The, the reason we're gonna go here is because our church has been able to make a dent in unreached people groups around the world. We can't change everything, but in our little space, we can make a dent, so that's how I talk about it. In Brookside, we've been able to make a dent. In church planting, we've been able to make a dent. And I think as it relates to racial harmony, it's time for us to make a dent. I think that by virtue of who we are as a church and things that God's doing, the uh, dynamics that he's put together, that this is an important thing for us to both talk about, think about, and see how can we continue to advance the gospel by looking more and more like the kingdom of Christ that God intends for us to be. I know for some of you that's an that's a awkward or uncomfortable conversation, certainly it has been, and for good reason within the context of our nation's uh, history, and yet I think it's a moment for the church, I think it's a moment for this church to say, look, let's go there. I feel a sense of calling uh, to that and believe it's where God is uh, leading us and I wanna help you understand what that means, what that doesn't mean, and how do we root ourselves in the scripture as it relates to this really important and painful matter of racial harmony in the context of the local church. So that's why we're gonna spend a couple weeks on that subject, look forward to learning and growing together along with you. So John 3, born again by the Spirit and believe. First, born again. It's interesting, this story regarding Nicodemus is set in the context of the water turning to wine and then the cleansing of the temple. And now John talks about Nicodemus. And he's doing this not because these things necessarily happened in order, although they may have, but John isn't putting together a historical account. What he's doing is weaving together stories in order for you to see a particular message. In chapter two, it ended with these words, Jesus himself knew what was in man. And so chapter three begins with the word now, because now we're gonna see it. Jesus knows what's in man, and now we come to the matter of this Pharisee, this religious leader named Nicodemus. And the signature text within this little paragraph is John 3 and verse 3, where he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me help you understand what that means. It says now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. So, John sets this up for us. We have a religious leader. His name is listed, Nicodemus, probably because he was well-known. He's described as a Pharisee, so he's a scholar. He's been educated in the Old Testament laws. He went to the best schools. He was of the most educated people in the culture regarding the most important things that people valued in that culture. He was a Pharisee. If you were a dad and you had a daughter, you would pray that your daughter would marry a Pharisee. I mean, I know in our context, if you're called a Pharisee, that's a bad thing, but in Jesus' day, it was a great thing. He's not only a highly educated Old Testament scholar, but he's also a ruler, which means that he served on the San, in the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jewish people while they were under Roman occupation. So Rome allowed them to handle their own affairs, so there was this ruling body. So Jesus is talking to this man named Nicodemus who is highly educated. He's among the ruling class. Nicodemus was a one percenter. 
He had everything that everybody in that culture would have wanted. He had education, he had power, he had authority. It would be, for instance, if you heard me say, hey, we had a conversation last week with one of our uh, Indianapolis City Council members who's trying to figure out some claims about Christ. You might sit up and take notice. So if I said, hey, had a conversation with a state senator last week and she was wondering about some things regarding what the Bible teaches. So that's the kind of person that, that, that John is describing here. The text tells us that Nicodemus came by night. It may be that he was coming secretly. It's possible. Or it may be that that's true that he came by night, but that John uses in sort of an artistic form or a narrative form, he comes by night because nefarious things happen in John's gospel at night. You'll see later that Judas betrays Jesus, and then John says, and it was night. So he's sort of setting the backdrop as it relates to this conversation. The fact that he says that he comes at night and along with what else that we see in this text leads me to believe that this is not just some neutral conversation where Nicodemus is like, hey, I have some questions. I don't want anybody to know about this, so let's get together, and I I genuinely want to know some answers. No, I think there's a little more here, and the tone of this text, I think, will bear that out. I think what's happening here is Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, and there is an intellectual, verbal sparring match that takes place. Nicodemus isn't coming, I don't think, as a, a neutral bystander, but rather even the fact that he says, we know you are a teacher from God, is as though he's representing some other group. So Nicodemus may have been sent, or he may have gone on his own, but this conversation is not just neutral. He's not just seeking. He's looking to, to push. Let me show you this. The text tells us that Nicodemus says this to Jesus. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs un- that you do unless God is with him. Interesting, he calls him rabbi. Jesus has no educational credibility to be called that. Nicodemus calls him rabbi, I think it's because he, he's well, he knows how people work, and so Nicodemus is giving Jesus the, the props, so to speak, to sort of open the door to the conversation. Rabbi. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. That's an interesting thing to say because at that time, the, the, the religious establishment was opposing Jesus. I mean, just in the text earlier that we heard Zach do such a wonderful job exegeting regarding the cleansing of the temple. As he cleansed the temple, the religious leaders came to him and said, what authority do you have to do this? So the issue of Jesus' authority is still very much unsettled. And yet Nicodemus says to him, we know you are a teacher come from God. I don't think he's lying, but I, I do think he's politically maneuvering. He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's a very important statement here. What Nicodemus is doing is saying, here's what we know. We've seen you do these signs, we've seen them, and we know that nobody can do these signs unless God is with him. So the knowing and the seeing are very important in what John wants you to understand and in this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. He has seen Jesus' signs and he knows that Jesus must come from God. And what's gonna happen here is that Jesus is gonna challenge Nicodemus' assumptions about what he sees and what he knows. He's going to disassemble Nicodemus' confidence 
his religious self-confidence in what he thinks he sees, and by implication, therefore, by what he thinks he knows. Nicodemus was blinded by spiritual knowledge. You hear me? He was blinded by spiritual knowledge. You know that's possible, right? I mean, there's all sorts of people in our present culture, you may be one of them, who you would describe yourself as spiritual but not religious. I mean, I get that at one level. You're kind of done with religion and all of its things that it's done wrong and its abuses. And to many, in many respects, that's true. But you developed another category called I'm spiritual but not religious. And in your spirituality, maybe you have pursued sort of an intellectual inquiry into various things about philosophy and history and, 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 and what the Bible says and what it does. Maybe you've even pursued other religious beliefs to try and figure out what those things say. And here's the challenge. It's not that Christianity, by definition, is anti-intellectual. But What's true of Nicodemus is true of a lot of people, that the single greatest barrier in their spiritual lives is their sense of their own intellectual capacity. You may have a friend like that, like he's always reading, always studying, or maybe she's always thinking about philosophical things, and every time you have a conversation about religious things and what the Bible says, it goes off in some crazy rabbit trail, and you're like, how did we get over here? And the issue is that his intellectual inquiry was actually an incredible barrier. Which is why Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a loaded statement. Remember, Nicodemus has just said, we know that you've come from God because no one can do the signs that we see unless he is from God. We know because we see. Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you don't see the kingdom. What he's saying, in effect, is Nicodemus, you don't see what you see. And you don't know what you know. And your self-confidence in what you see and your religious heritage with what you believe you know is actually the thing that is standing in the way. And he says to him, you must be born again. So when Jesus talks about kingdom, so there's three words we need to talk about. Kingdom, see, and born again. When he says kingdom, he's referring both to the future realm of God's rule, like heaven or the new heavens and the new earth. But he's also relating it to the present inaugurated reign of Christ where Jesus says that the kingdom of God is within you. So there's, a, there's an already not yet as it relates to the kingdom. Jesus inaugurates parts of the kingdom, but yet there's something else yet to be realized. And regardless of where you land on the whole eschatological discussion, there's agreement on this singular reality that there's some level of the kingdom that's been brought in, and yet there's something that we're yet waiting for. Now, the Pharisees believed that the kingdom was that which all Jews would be ushered into unless those Jews were guilty of some wild wickedness or great apostasy. And so the kingdom of God was what they were longing for and what they wanted. So when Jesus says, you don't see the kingdom, he's talking to a guy who was a master in kingdom stuff. And he's saying to him, you don't see the kingdom. And when he uses the word see, what does he mean? The one way you could use the word see is like looking towards the future. 
For instance, if you were to run a business and you're like, man, I hope in 2019 we're going to see really good profits. The idea is that in the future we're going to grab a hold of something. Or maybe as a student, I'm studying really hard so that I'll see really good grades in the future. Or if someone says, hey, is this going to happen? You say, and you say, well, let's see. Those things are all future in their context. That's not how the word is used here in the text. It's not simply about the future. Jesus doesn't say to him, you must be born again so that you can eventually get into the kingdom, although that's true. In this context, he's using the word see to push back on what Nicodemus has just said, which means it's not about the future alone. It is about the fact that Nicodemus in the present doesn't see what he thinks he sees. In other words, he's gonna miss the kingdom in the future because he doesn't know what the kingdom is. Jesus is taking a religious intellectual man and helping him to see, man, you are blind and you don't even know it. You think you know, but you don't know. You're so confident and you are in effect saying, we know that you're from God because we see the signs. Jesus is saying to him, you don't know and you don't see. He does this because Jesus always goes after the central idol of the heart of the person he's dealing with. He does it with a rich young ruler, a guy who's wealthy. Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. Because he knows money has this guy's heart. And he goes after Nicodemus because he knows his intellect and his religious heritage is the thing that he's trusting in. He is going to pull apart Nicodemus's assumptions. Can you think of a time when that's happened to you about something where your assumptions were just torn asunder? I had this happen, I think it was last week. I was telling my wife in an earlier conversation about something that I was struggling with, with a parental issue with one of our children. And I just said, this is just really frustrating to me. And so she's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll look for it. And so then it happened. And while it was happening, I looked at her. I was like, see? This is what I'm talking about right here. And I, and I was sure, like we had this, this, this 25 year heritage history communication thing going, no words, I just looked like we were on the same page. And then we went upstairs to the bedroom and we were getting ready for the day and she was like, what was that all about? <laughs> and I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? That was the thing I was talking about. And she said, no, nah, that's not a big deal. And for 15 seconds, I literally stared at her. In fact, it kind of, kind of freaked her out a little bit. She's like, what, you okay? What's going on in your head? And I, I literally didn't know what to say. I didn't have words. And she said, what, talk to me. What, what's going on? She thought I was having a stroke or something. You know, I'm like, you know, what's, and I said, I just can't believe I'm wrong. <laughs> it never it never crossed my mind that I was wrong. Not in a second. I was 100% sure that I was right. I was 100% sure that she knew what was going on. And then when she said, no, you don't see this thing correctly, like it just blew my mind. She's like, are you all right? I'm like, I don't know. I've never been this wrong. You know, I'm just like. I... <laughs> Jesus is blowing Nicodemus's mind here. Categorical deconstruction is one of the most painful things that can happen to you where your assumptions are just sort of blown out of the water, and Jesus is doing that to Nicodemus. 
He says you must be born again. This word born means to be generated. It's used for a father conceiving or a mother giving birth. It's the creation of life. And when he says born again, he means born from above or born anew. So if if you're a student of theology, this is where we get the word regeneration. Generation from born again, re-regeneration. It means to be spiritually reborn. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here is this, is this religious ruler has to be reborn or he will never see. He thinks he sees. He thinks he knows. And Jesus says, you don't see and you don't know unless you're born again. Do you feel the tension of Jesus' words here? Friend, listen, if you're a Christian and you put your trust in Christ, Think of the moment when you received Jesus, when you heard the gospel, and you're like, that's true, I believe that. When that happened, you need to know, behind the scenes, God was opening your eyes, wooing your heart, and transforming you. Did you really believe? Did you really choose to receive Christ? Absolutely. Did you do it alone? Absolutely not. And I know that has all sorts of theological questions and implications, and I'm happy to talk about those with you afterwards, but here's here's what I know. The older I grow, the more I understand myself, the more as I grow in my understanding of the human heart, raising children, shepherding people, the more and more and more and more convinced I am that there's no one who would ever believe unless God was behind it. We'll find all kinds of excuses until God captivates the heart. I mean, that's enormously encouraging if you're you're a person and you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you're telling the story of your conversion, and you want them to become a Christian, and you share the story once, twice, three times, four times, it just hits the heart of that person and bounces off and bounces off and bounces off. You get really discouraged, and the motivation to keep sharing is you never know if it's the 15th time that you're going to share the gospel that the Spirit of God's going to go boom, and they're going to see It's also an encouragement to you that if you botch your presentation of evangelism, the Holy Spirit can still use it. And I know this by personal experience. There have been way too many times that people have walked out of a service and said, man, it was so helpful when you said this, and I didn't say that. (laughs) I was like, all right, well, praise God, right? I I don't wanna tell them I didn't say it, right? And I also want to say thank you because I didn't say that, but it landed on them. It was the Holy Spirit working in and through the word and through the vessel that God happens to be using. So here's what you need to know. The greatest barrier for every human being is the belief that you can make it on your own. And whatever that barrier is, whether it's I can make it on my own because I'm so successful, I can make it on my own because I've got money, I can make it on my own because I'm really disciplined, I can make it on my own because I'm not as bad as most people, or I can make it on my own because I'm a religious person, or I can make it on my own because I'm smart and can figure it out. Every single human being has a barrier, and until Jesus busts through that barrier, you are not able to see the kingdom. And in Nicodemus's case, It is his spiritual and intellectual orientation that serves as a barrier. So, born again. Number two, by the Spirit. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? I think that's a legitimate intellectual question. He's like, wait a minute, how how can a man be born when he's old? And then I think he gets a little snarky. 
He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Can you imagine this? You've got a guy who is well-schooled in debate. He understands the Old Testament. He's been in the Sanhedrin. He has seen fiery discussions. He knows how to position things. He's good at what he does. And I think what he's doing here is he, he thinks he's gonna land a blow on Jesus. So he starts with a, a little, can he enter? How can a man be born when he's old? And then he thinks, can he enter a second time in his mother's womb? And he has no idea there is a spiritual and theological left hook coming at him. He doesn't know who he's boxing with. Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of, the wa of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of, of kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's, he's going right to the issue. Nicodemus, you need a cleansing that you don't have on your own. I think he's quoting here Ezekiel chapter 36 in terms of the idea of cleansing. Look at Ezekiel 36 here. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what's he doing here? He's appealing to the Old Testament concept of cleansing and he's showing Nicodemus that he needs deep heart change that Nicodemus can't produce in and of himself. He wants... Nicodemus to know that the only way he is going to be cleansed is by something outside of him. Look at what he says. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus points to nature and he says, Nicodemus, look around you. You believe in the wind, you see what the wind does, but you don't know the source of the wind. You can't predict where the wind is going to go or how it's going to do its thing, but you believe that the wind is real. You see that it's real. And Jesus now is pressing on Nicodemus in order to say to him, don't argue with me about whether or not you must be born again. You believe in the wind. You believe in the spirit. He's pressing that Nicodemus needs something from the outside in order to bring cleansing Everything about Nicodemus' system would have tried to convince him that real righteousness comes from his own doing, from his own adherence to the law, from his own intellect, from his own experience, that, 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 that he was the, the, the kind of person who had received favor from God, and Jesus is blowing this apart and saying to him, you don't have what it takes to be righteous. It's not within you. It's not in your law. It's not in your system. It's not anywhere within you. You don't have eyes to see. You don't even have the right mind to know. You need something external, namely the Spirit of God has to blow upon you. One of the miracles of what it means to become a follower of Jesus is that there is an external righteousness that is given to you, which is the righteousness of Christ. And it's an amazing thing to consider that it is the Spirit of God that moves upon people. You may be here today and you haven't turned from your sins yet, you haven't become a follower of Jesus, and it may be that in this very moment you feel the odd drawing, you're like, I think this is actually true, and I, I think I want to believe this. You need to know that's an external reality. That's not coming from you. And the more you know you, the more you'll know that's not you. 
That's why the Apostle Paul talks about the Spirit, that it is the Spirit that indwells believers. It's the Spirit that seals believers. It's the Spirit that empowers believers. It means that when you become a Christ follower, it was the Spirit that does that work on you, and the assurance of your salvation doesn't come from some date in your Bible or some prayer that you prayed. Your assurance over the long haul is this. If God was the one who did it, then God is going to keep me all the way to the end. Your assurance is not, I'm going to do it because you didn't come to Jesus like that. You came to Jesus like, I can't do this, and he regenerated you. You were born into the kingdom. So assurance comes not from some memory, but it comes from the assurance that it was God by his spirit who birthed you into his kingdom, and if you didn't get you in, you can't get you out. Born again by the spirit to believe. Nicodemus is undone, verse 9. How can these things be? Now at this point, don't you just want Jesus to go, come here, Nicodemus, give me a hug. Come here, come on. Sing kumbaya, let's just, hey, come on, it's all right, yeah. No, Jesus is going to grind him. Jesus answered him and said, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Oh, wow. I mean, if you're like a disciple, you're like, Jesus gave him a break. Why, why, why is Jesus grinding him? Here's why. Because if he's not ground up and if Nicodemus isn't brought low, he'll never see the kingdom. Nicodemus' biggest problem is Nicodemus. My biggest problem is me. Your biggest problem is you. And until Jesus grinds him to the bottom, he won't be able to see. His religious heritage, his intellectualism, serves as blinders to his eyes, and those need to be completely removed in order for him to be able to believe. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He goes even further. You're a teacher, you don't understand. We're telling you these things and you don't believe. And then he says, I have told you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus is taking the truth of who he is and he's not bringing it closer to Nicodemus, he's actually bringing it further away. Why? Because he knows Nicodemus needs to be undone or he'll never become a follower. He knows what's in man. Some of you know exactly what that's like. That's where you are today. I mean, it's one thing after another. You found yourself looking in the mirror and going, what in the world is going on? Nicodemus' story is your story. You're in the grinder. God's grinding you up, not because God doesn't like you, no, but because God knows what is in you and he loves you and wants to woo you to himself. And the sooner you realize, oh, it's, I'm in the grinder. <laughs> That's what this is. And the sooner, the sooner you come to the point where you realize, oh my goodness, I, I can't do this. That is where the Holy Spirit leads people as they are ushered into believing that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. 
He says, no one has ascended, verse 13, into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I am that person. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's using an Old Testament analogy from Numbers chapter 21, where serpents were sent out into the camp as judgment, and they lifted up a serpent on a pole, and people were saved from judgment by looking and believing that God could save them. And Jesus is like, you see that in the Old Testament? That's me. And what's going to happen is at the end of his life, when he's lifted up, Nicodemus is gonna see that. And the hope would be that in seeing that, all this would come together and Nicodemus would believe. There's some evidence that he did. The burial of Jesus, Nicodemus was a part of it. He brought 75 pounds of spices to anoint the body of Jesus. That is the amount used only for royalty. It seems that somewhere along the way, Nicodemus believed because Jesus ground up his self-confidence. So if you're here today, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you've not yet turned from your sins, look, this story, man, it's like your story. You gotta feel the love of God in this story for Nicodemus and the love of God for you. This could put together the pieces of your life and like, oh my goodness, this is what's happening and it may be that you're here today and Jesus is calling you out of your own sense of seeing and knowing and all of what you're believing and you realize, you know what, I'm in big trouble because my biggest problem is me and that is the first step to a person becoming a Christ follower is realizing it's not my upbringing, it's not my background, it's not these things around me, it's not these relationships, like my problem is I keep bringing me to all this stuff. And in Nicodemus' case, he kept bringing his religious and intellectual confidence. So if that's you, friend, why not, why not embrace the wind of the Spirit and just say, this, okay, man, I'm coming to Jesus today. Like, this is the day? This is the day? Nicodemus, that's me? I'm coming to Christ. I need to be born again. If you are a follower of Jesus, can I just remind you First, that God worked the miracle of conversion in your life so that you could be changed for the rest of your life. The same spirit that worked to change in you is the same spirit that's at work in you today, and therefore the call for those who are followers of Jesus is to keep growing, keep trusting, keep living by faith as you marvel at the fact that God redeemed you. Your story may not be like you walked in the woods and came out, maybe some other story, but all of us have the same underlying story, which is this. We understood the gospel, we believed, and it was because God was at work. And that should lead you to this unbelievably challenging question. Why you? Why you? And that should result in you saying to God, I don't know, but I love you. I can't believe you rescued me from myself. And that becomes the means by which the Christian life works. Because you are born again by the Spirit and you believed and God was behind it all. To him be the honor and glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, grant us grace to know how to apply this text in our lives beyond what we've just heard today. And thank you that you, Holy Spirit, are at work in us right now. Lord, I pray for 
perhaps a man or a woman in the hearing of this message who knows right now you're calling them to put their faith and trust in you. And I pray that today would be the day where they would say, I saw, I knew, and I believed. And in this very room, in this very moment, the Spirit moves to create new life. Oh God, do that, we pray. And Lord, bring assurance to those who are followers of you. Lord, for children being raised in Christians' homes so close to the gospel, they can be so accustomed to messages like this. Oh Lord, penetrate their heart today. Help them to see their need. And Lord, give us the strength we need to follow you with great confidence and beautiful overwhelming thoughts of worship because you rescued us from ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that we're born again by the Spirit in order to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.